Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Welcome once again to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and we are in the middle of a series on the gifts of Anglicanism for the body of Christ, where we're exploring some of the treasures we've received from the Anglican tradition, the great tradition, uh, and how it's come to us through the uh, Anglican expression of that, and how we can steward those treasures within a contextual, kingdom-centric, spirit-empowered mission um, in the modern world. So, so far we've talked about the centrality of the Eucharist, we've talked about the formative power of liturgy, we've talked about the Book of Common Prayer, and last week we talked about the Church Fathers and Mothers, and today our topic is the Episcopacy, a.k.a. bishops. What are they good for? Is the uh, title that uh, <laughs> I see what you I, did there, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bishops, what are they good for? Uh, we're going to talk about that, what they're good for today. And I am here today with two bishops to talk about this. We'll see if we get in trouble for having two bishops in the same room. Um, I'm Bishop Todd Hunter, whose voice you just heard from C4SO. Hi, Todd. Good to have you. Hey, hey. You know, I'm always happy to be here, but a little giddy today because of our guest. Uh, I yeah. won't steal your thunder, but... <laughs> yes, and our guest today is Bishop Steve Wood from the Diocese of the Carolinas. Steve, welcome to the C4SO podcast. Hey, Ben. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. First of all, Steve, maybe just tell us a bit more about yourself. What else should we know about you besides the fact that you are a bishop? Yeah, you know, uh, most important thing, I'm, I'm married. I've been married to Jackie for 36 years, and um, we were met in high school didn't really date, but we've been together a long time, known her most of my life. Um, hmm. And yeah, I love being married to her. Um, <laughs> got four boys together. Uh, three are married. They're all grown. Uh, Aaron lives out in Montana. He's married to a woman named uh, Jesse. They have a 10-year-old son. I got a son, number two, named Tim. We often refer to him by their birth order, so one, two, <laughs> three, four. <laughs> uh, if you're familiar, way, hey, hey, yeah, well, it, it helps. helps gonna, let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. So, number two, Tim is a commercial real estate guy, married to an ophthalmologist. They live here in Mount Pleasant. They just had their first child. Uh, I have three grandchildren, three or four, three grandsons, one granddaughter. The oldest son, mm-hmm. they've had two miscarriages too, so that's been mm-hmm. tough. But um, mm-hmm. uh, son three, married to a woman named Emily. He does. By default, never imagined he'd be here, but he's in accounting and auditing, and um, wow. and his wife works in research at the medical university here in South Carolina. My wife is a nurse at the medical university. The daughter is an ophthalmologist, is an ophthalmologist at the medical university, okay. and then son number four is the only one not married, graduated from Clemson in December. Okay. Uh, God willing, will be doing an MD, PhD, and, uh, and until he goes to med school, he is doing drug addiction research at the medical university here in Charleston. Wow. So, wow. Well, that's, yeah, medical uh, family. Going on. Medical yeah. family. Yeah. All medical, other than me. <laughs> uh, yeah, other than you. Yeah. Um, although we could maybe try to Doctor find a way the soul. Theologically, yeah, 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 yeah. theologically <laughs> we can connect the dots if we want to. Um, Steve, uh, in addition, I, I know that you've been a clergy person in the Anglican tradition for over 30 years, if your uh, bio on the website is uh, correct. Yep. Um, but did you grow up in the Anglican tradition? And if not, maybe tell us your story about your journey into Anglicanism. Yeah, I did. I did grow up uh, Episcopal, and uh, but okay. it was a very 
intersecting life. I grew up the only, I was an Irish Protestant in an Italian Catholic neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Most of my friends' parents were emigres, and um, my friends were first generation, a lot of them. And uh, so I was, I, was, uh, I was exposed and actually in many ways shaped by the Roman Catholic calendar because their families followed that calendar. Uh, actually, okay. we were adults. I just we eat salmon on Friday for what it's worth in my house, <laughs> and just, one of my boys. What you do? I mean, they were adults, and they're like, "Why do we eat salmon every Friday?" I'm like, "I don't know. Everybody eats fish on Friday." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Don't know where that it came was, from. It but was just the just, Ro- yeah, it was the Roman yeah. Church. Clearly, um, yeah. my dad though was Assembly of God and um, and okay. and missionary Baptist, which was interesting. But he had a lot yeah. of Assembly of God pastors in his family, so. And I went to a Missouri Synod Lutheran grade school, Roman Catholic high school. So I had quite a milieu of religious experience, but always Episcopal um, mm. and Anglican. My mom was, my mom was, she made the religious decisions in our house. Mm. So, and that's yes. what she was. She went to boarding school in Scotland and, and okay, wow. always, always Anglican. Fascinating. Um, well, let's get into our topic for today. Some, some people who listen to this podcast are Anglican newbies. And uh, so those who might be unfamiliar with it, Todd, uh, maybe you could start this one and then Steve, fill in the blanks um, with anything Todd misses. <laughs> Just kidding. Or anything Steve you want Steve loves add. that game. Yeah. Um, but maybe for those who are unfamiliar, what is a bishop? Uh, what's their distinct role in the church? Yeah. So if, I, if we're playing word association, I would probably use a word like leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, if we wanted to be a little you know, closer to the Greek term, we might say oversight. Okay. So if you think of, you know, the earliest apostolic times, you know, you probably th- should think of house churches yeah. who were led by a, um, a, a priest, a presbyter, or perhaps a deacon, mm-hmm. um, but would have been given oversight um, by a bishop. And that's pretty much the deal. Again, Steve is actually way better on this stuff than I am, but that's pretty much the deal to get to the Reformation. Yeah, uh, and then yeah. you begin to see what we would call today Presbyterian or congregational yeah. uh, forms of government. Yes, very good. Yeah, Steve, uh, you uh, you mentioned that we we might be hearing your dogs uh, in the background. Yeah, um, and, uh, I, I, an my, unexpected wild card was a doorbell ring. A doorbell, right yes. My that's yeah. the that's that happens in our. You I thought maybe dog. the dogs were like a BS monitor and we're going. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. They start Hunter's barking off. when uh, somebody's like verging on uh, heresy <laughs> yeah. or something. You want me no, to? Uh, can you? Yeah. I, he's just, some guy's just standing at my door. Looking oh at yeah. Well, should I? I it's don't not. Know. It's not too. Uh, it's not too uh, distracting. So, okay, Steve, me, what would you? Yeah, yeah. And don't worry, we can. So, um, yeah. yeah we so I um. I would agree with Todd. I mean, I'm always a fan of going back to what words mean. And uh, so, yeah, certainly going back to Episcopoi. Uh, but also, you know, coming out of the Episcopal Church meltdown, I became a real fan of following canons because I find mm. that people would not follow canons. Um, bishops would overstate their authority, overextend their prerogatives, and um, mm. parishes often did not know the canons. And, mm. um, and so, you know, bishops— Arrogated under themselves a lot of a lot of authority, yeah. you know. So fundamentally, um, fundamentally, canonically, um, or uh, I guess canonically, uh, you know, bishops have the responsibility of uh, advancing and defending the faith, and mm-hmm. then they serve as a visible sign of unity uh, within the yeah. church. And so, yeah. I go back to that, start there, and um, and tend to move from there. 
Yeah. Well, we'll get into some of that uh, in a little bit. Um, I think you're, you're delineating a helpful distinction between the office of yeah. a bishop and then like the person yeah. of the bishop and the yeah, authority yeah. lies in one place and not the other. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but um, I mentioned this earlier. I'm jokingly sort of, sort of jokingly naming this episode bishops. What are they good for? Uh, because um, during the Protestant Reformation, a lot of groups rejected the episcopacy when they were separating themselves from Rome and reforming the church, doctrine, practice, that kind of thing. But the English Reformation retained bishops in their ecclesiological structure. Um, what's your understanding of why they, that, why they did this? What good were they pursuing in keeping the episcopacy in, in your understanding? Steve, maybe you want to start this one. Yeah, so I would go again, just maybe uh, drill down a layer, and I would look. I make a distinction between the essay, the Bene essay, and the Plenty essay of the Church. Hmm. I think the reformers, uh, Richard Hooker, certainly made a distinction between the essay and the Bene essay. He held Bene essay, not essay. I, I would say the reformers were probably there, um, mm-hmm. meaning that right, the essay bishops were of the essence of the Church, and so to not have a bishop is to not have a church. That's got a lot of problems because it de-churches anybody from outside of a Episcopal background, Episcopal right. meaning governance. Right. You know, Hooker, Hooker saw uh, bishops as um, helpful. They had, a, they had authority over other pastors, uh, but he really held that the church had the power to determine its own um, positive law governance and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that they were, again, for the good of the church. I'd probably yeah. even be a step back from that and think they're the plenty essay. Which is uh, they're from the fullness yeah. of the church. The fullness you know? of the church. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's just, you know, I, I yeah. hold to them. I think they're valuable. I'm in the, I'm in tradition with it. Um, yeah. But I'm down the candlestick on the role of bishops. Yeah, yeah. In terms of their essential quality to the yeah. church. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I think Bishop they do Tom- serve a good. I think they do serve a good function when they function yeah. properly. Yes. Yeah, Todd. What would you what would you say to that? Like, um, not just the historical question, but like even even now, like you know, if if you would agree, I mean, <laughs> both of you have to agree a little bit because you're both bishops, right? Um, but if you'd agree that you know, bishops, there's there's some good in having a bishop or being a bishop or uh, being in a church with a bishop. What what do you perceive that good to be, um, Todd? Yeah. So Ben, if I think of just the word. If I, if I think about the word Episcopal in a functional sense, in other words, you know, Steve, Steve, helped us, Steve helped us think about to what degree does a bishop constitute the church? And as right. Steve said, that's a, you can get, you know, you can get people fired up about that for, you know, a good long conversation <laughs> yeah. if you want. Yeah. Um, but if I think of it more functionally, as I've said, the, the, the word leadership or oversight comes to mind, but also another important word, I think care uh, mm. comes to mind. Um, what does it mean to care for a local congregation, which would include its clergy and perhaps even wardens and vestries? Um, so that's something that frustrates, you know, for me in C4SO because we're spread out all over the country. And I, I really can't sometimes offer the kind of care that other mm-hmm. more localized bishops can. And I think in some senses is ideal. Mm-hmm. And then Steve mentioned the, the role of guarding the faith. Yeah. So there's there's some of that that happens. I mean, we don't tend to have heretics flying around, but mm-hmm. you do have the occasional question of a, a, a rector or somebody speaking at church wrestling mm-hmm. with a lectionary passage and just wondering yeah, yeah. where's the pale here and am I in the pale and yeah. you know how do you understand that? Um, I think for me personally, I do a lot of coaching and mentoring. 
Mm. Now, I don't know that that like formally would fit under uh, what people think of as a bishop, but if you ask me to just look at my calendar and what I actually do, mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time helping people problem solving, being a, a you know sort of a coach mentor. Hmm. And then again, if I just look at my 13 years of being a bishop, I also spend a lot of time, and this is probably the charismatic me coming out, well, undoubtedly the charismatic me coming out, is like celebrating what the Spirit is doing Mm. versus trying to control what happens in local churches from a diocesan office. So I'm I'm sometimes criticized for that, but for me, it's a combination of missiology and pneumatology. Like I, I, I literally cannot know enough about a church in a given city in C4SO to tell them how to missionally operate. What mm-hmm. I can do is help them come to their own spirit-driven conclusions mm-hmm. about how to be the people of God in mm-hmm. a given city at a given time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so um, I think a lot of like cheering, funding, helping, you yeah. know, coming alongside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd echo a lot of that. Yeah, lot. Go ahead, Steve. You know, I'd echo, you know, yeah, when you think practically, again, Having been burned in the meltdown, I just instinctively go back to foundations and principles and work from mm-hmm. there. And but you know, it's, it's the practical, my day to day, a lot of leadership, setting the vision, setting the tone. Uh, I get to I get to highlight, underline emphases that I want us to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, again, coming out of the charismatic world, um, we'll want to encourage life in the spirit within our congregations. Yeah. Um, spend a lot of time in coaching churches, working on them with vision, leadership, mission setting priorities. Um, you know, the charismatic side, I'm also rector of a parish. Uh, we have a prophetic okay. ministry team. So one of the things we make possible when I come and do a confirmation is if the rector wants, he will send <laughs> us the names of his confirmands and my prophetic ministry team will ask for a word, pray over him. And they send me with a sheet of paper with words for each of these kids. Oh, and wow. um, some of my churches don't want any part of that, and some yeah. welcome it. And yeah. uh, and the ones that do are always amazed. But it just highlights God, how accurate and spot on they are. But it just mm-hmm. highlights in so many ways um, just the, the, the spirit-empowered nature of ministry. Yeah. And, um, you know, J.C. Ryle, he talked about the gospel. You know, charismatic language wasn't around when Ryle was bishop. But one of the things that Ryle looked at in the Church of England was he saw and believed that its clergy had lost their confidence in the power of the gospel to transform people's lives, and they retreated into ritualism and ceremonialism. And so, so if they didn't have the power anymore, they had the things that made them look like they had the Spirit's yeah. power. And, yeah. um, and I've always found that instructive. I use it with, you know, one of my guys wanted to implement a new rich man i'm really flexible on this i really don't care what people do um i'm a minimalist but i don't care what people do and one my guy it was just a conversation he wanted to implement something i just want to know why you know why why now where'd that come from and just and it came up his congregation was stagnant so he was looking at trying to add in some of the showy stuff uh, and which i don't have a problem with but just understand why you're doing it so yeah. a lot of that kind of counseling, a yeah. lot of, lot of, lot of helping churches set priorities and yeah. Um, yeah. and goals. Hey everyone, uh, welcome again to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan 
cycle of prayer. This week we're praying for Incarnation Anglican Church in Wichita, Kansas, which is led by the Reverend Kyle Fleet, and he has joined us to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray specifically for them. Kyle, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Hey, thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. Yeah, good to have you. Um, What's one thing that you're encouraged by right now that's happening in the midst of Incarnation Anglican Church? Uh, Well, Ben, I'll tell you, this may seem uh, pretty simplistic, but, you know, we're a church plant that's two and a half years old. Mm. And given the last year, year and a half, um, I'll tell you, I'm I'm really thankful that we're still here and still around. (laughs) Yep. And there's been plenty of nights where I'm, I wasn't sure if that would be the case. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, just to piggyback off that, um, just there's this kind of new sense of, in the past, I'd say, month or two when, uh, honestly, I was just talking to my wife and I just said, you know what? I think there's some indicators here and I, I think we're going to be around for another couple of years. And so, <laughs> that's great. so that's like, you know. Uh, starting from scratch, that's kind of a new feeling for us and for me. Mm. And so um, those, those kind of things, again, pretty Mm. simple, but again, deeply grateful, really encouraging. Yeah. 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 I think every church planter knows exactly how you feel. And if you've never planted a church, you maybe don't know what that feels like, but it's not a small thing just to say, uh, I think we're going to exist next week. You know, like, I think it's going to be, I think we're going to be okay. It's like, um, they're still showing up. I, yeah. I, I guess okay. we'll do this again this okay. week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, on the flip side, what's a challenge that you're facing right now that you want to let us know about? So um, I, I, I think just thinking in the you know life cycle of church planning, I think right now um, we're in this stage or this kind of new space where uh, we moved into a building maybe, what, six, eight months ago, and we've settled into it. And um, I think we're really asking, you know, the same question we've asked along the way, but uh, what does it look like to be healthy at this stage? And I think we're just being challenged by um, kind of a vision for this particular moment in our planting. Um, and I think, yeah, I, 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 you know, obviously some of the things going, uh, other things going on with COVID and all of that stuff are playing into this, but it's just asking that question, what does it mean to be healthy? And, um, I, th- I think we're, we're just really praying for vision right now for, okay. like I said, okay. this specific moment. Yeah. All right. Um, in light of all of this, how can we pray for you and incarnation right now? Yeah. Um, well, again, certainly I'd pray for, uh, continued vision, right. As this, as this thing continues mm-hmm. to bloom and as our communities continues to come together, um, I'd ask that. Uh, uh, our friends and people listening would just be praying that, um, you know, God would help us discern the the people that we're, we're called to be serving and for us to, you know, give a faithful yes to them and continue pulling them in, right? That we would know who mm-hmm. those people are and, mm-hmm. and um, just give a strong yes to them and that calling. Um, but then also as we seek to just pray about what it means for us to be good, um, for the neighborhood, good in this neighborhood that, again, we've now only been in for six to eight months. Um, please, we just be praying that, you know, relationships continue to build. And again, this, uh, the answer of, of what does it mean for us to be good in 
the Fairmount hmm. neighborhood and to our neighbors. What does it mean to be good for our neighbors? Yeah. Um, those are those are some of the things that we're praying praying Great. about praying for right now. Well, Kyle, thanks for sharing all of that with us, and thanks for joining us. Certainly, thanks, Ben. Uh, listeners, if you would like to find out more about Incarnation Anglican Church or possibly contribute to their work, I'm sure Kyle wouldn't mind. Uh, you can check out the link in the show notes. Kyle, we'll see you next time. All right. Have a good one. I appreciate the integration that, uh, that, that both of you have talked about just in terms of like um, integrating this very old um, liturgical uh, tradition with you know spirit-empowered kind of practices, this confidence that God's present and working and speaking, um, and we can participate. Uh, in that today, I think that um, that's really strong. Um, let's do. Can we do a rapid fire round? Yeah. You guys Uh-oh. ready for this? Okay. Yeah. All right. So this this is just <laughs> the intention here is that you just very quickly answer the question and you don't get to explain yourself. Okay. You just have to answer the question and just let the answer stand. Okay. All right. You both you both ready? Yep. Roll yeah. up your sleeves. Do we need? You, okay. Do you any here stretching or anything? Okay. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, we'll start with uh, Todd. Last book you finished? Any genre. Dear White Peacemakers. All right. Uh, Steve? Uh, the Idiot. The Idiot by Dostoevsky. Oh, by uh, Dostoevsky? Very mm-hmm. good. Um, all right. See, Steve's highbrow. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even I have say found, Dostoevsky. I have found the Russians shockingly timely for where our culture is yeah. right now. Oh, wow. I, Dallas uh, Willard used to constantly get me to try to read them, and I've tried, and I <laughs> can't do it. I'm a loser. Yeah. Well, I found out that The Idiot was Dostoevsky's favorite, personal favorite of all that he'd oh. written. So oh, all me. the ones that he'd written. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, next question. Which Anglican author has been most helpful for you in understanding your job as bishops? Steve, you start this one. Yeah, I can't pin one. I'll give you a rapid fire. So okay. the Reformers, uh, Hooker, James Usher, John Davenant, John Howe, John Lightfoot, Richard Sibbs, J.C. Ryle. Those have been wow. okay. foundational guys I've read. On the Very good. So what, it's, a, it's a collection. It is. I How don't think you? one guy can do it for me. Okay. All right. How about you, Bishop Todd? Uh, probably the person who has influenced me the most would have been Tom Wright. But that okay. would have been more as much, well, way more observing than actually reading anything that he's written about the Episcopacy. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, he's, I would say he was a model for me because um, I wouldn't have grown up thinking about those historic models that, uh, okay. that uh, Steve's yeah. mentioning. All right. All right. Uh, Todd, you can start this one. Mm-hmm. Which non Anglican author has been most helpful for you in terms of how you see your role as bishop? It would be a missiologist, a uh, uh, maybe a Hunsberger or a Roxburg, or it would definitely be a missiologist to okay. help me understand. Um, Very good. How how uh, how bishops were missional leaders in the New Testament. Good. We'll come back to that, FYI. Okay. Steve, how about you? Non Anglican author. Yeah. Again, I'll give you two: old guy John Owen and contemporary guy Tim Keller. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Um, all right, last question of the rapid-fire round. What one practice helps you to be a good bishop more than any other? Steve. Uh, silence, right? Okay. Just being quiet for extended period of times before the Lord, bringing my mm-hmm. heart to Him, listening. And, and it's okay. also the hardest thing for me to attain. Yeah, yeah. 
Bishop Todd, how about you? Uh, trusting in the work of the Spirit in local churches so mm. that I don't either A, become controlling, or B, um, having to control outcomes of, uh, mm. of what happens. Mm. That's good. Very good. Well, thanks, guys. That was, uh, you, mm. di- you did it. We got, we got to the finish line of our rapid fire round. <laughs> and no one got hurt. No yeah, one got well, hurt. I, like, I think you, you injured yourself. I like the Todd underline the controlling outcomes because I think for me, I, yeah. maybe a lot of leaders that's endemic to yeah. us who like to control yeah. the outcomes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that that's the topic of the next question I want to ask um, both of you. Uh, one of the reasons a lot of people balk at having bishops is the fear, which is justified in many cases, of the spiritual abuse and authoritarianism. You mentioned, you alluded to this uh, earlier, Steve, uh, that can run rampant in hierarchical institutions. Um, how do you and how can we resist this tendency um, toward spiritual abuse and authoritarianism. And I'm, I'm wondering here about both about how a vision and a theology of the Episcopacy, Episcopacy can do this, as well as maybe some personal practices and disciplines that uh, we can engage in as leaders that will help, uh, I don't know, just temper the tendency uh, for leaders to kind of mm-hmm. head into these realms of abuse and authoritarianism. Any thoughts on that? Bishop Steve, we can start with you. Yeah, you know, um, I always... I. I I would push back a little on the question. I think okay. the whole evangelical phenomena and what's happened in larger non-denom churches, I think that's endemic just to leadership systems and people in general. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I have great value for in my life is people who will tell me no, mm. um, because by different measures, someone will say St. Andrews has been successful, the Diocese of Carolinas has been successful. And I find that when that happens, I, I have less and less people willing to tell me no because they mm. don't want to seem like they're standing in the way of growth and progress. And yeah, and so I've actually had to cultivate uh, men and women and maintain regular contact with people that will just question, not in a hostile way, but just question my thinking. Yeah, why why'd I set priorities? Because um, I think it's I think it's just it's endemic to give to people who are in whatever cultural criteria you use that looks successful, you just give things over. And this is where yeah. organizationally, I think canons are helpful. I mm-hmm. think I think being in relationship with other um, clergy are helpful where they can look at me and say, no, or what are you doing? Um, but I think there's just a real human tendency to hand over responsibility to one person and then are shocked when that person misuses that authority um, because you've lost the tension. You've lost the balance. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's one of the great dynamics as a rector of a parish. You know, I can hire anybody I want, but I can't pay them. Mm-hmm. Only my vestry can pay them. Right. <laughs> so it right. forces a conciliar method of leadership. Yeah, yeah, some accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. You know, there's no... Um, there's no, like hierarchical institutions don't have a corner yeah. on abuse, no. <laughs> right? Yeah. And authoritarianism. No. And, and oftentimes it can thrive in, you know, the 20 person Baptist church, yeah. uh, just as well as a, you know, uh, multi-level kind of hierarchicalized yeah. institution with bishops. Yeah. But, you know, the institutional side, the, the attractive side for me, even of the non-hierarchical structure 
is it seems to it can foster more creativity, attract more yeah. entrepreneurial leaders, mm-hmm. whereas our side can attract company men, systems mm-hmm. guys, and you get yeah. this great divorce between the secu- you know between the fireplace and the fire, and mm-hmm. and and how yeah. do you get the fire in the fireplace? Yeah, you know, and so I can look at that side at times and be wistful in a sense of yeah, it's a lot easier to innovate. There can mm-hmm. be a lot easier to innovate in some of the non-hierarchical structured churches than it yeah. can be in a hierarchical church. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, as Todd might know, you, know, you get a question in the College of Bishops and, you know, someone wants to go back. I don't care what the question is, but what did the church father say about that? Well, right, nothing. Right. The church father said nothing about that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you're captive to that. You got to do all yeah. the theology from 300 to 2000. Yeah, yeah. And how it works out. And that that can be a good thing. But it can also right. be a frustrating thing, right? For me. It can also, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's helpful, Bishop Todd. What would you say to this? Uh, how do we resist this temptation to authoritarianism or abuse? Yeah, a couple times uh, listening to Steve, um, I've thought of a study I did when I was president of Vineyard Churches, and I can't mm-hmm. remember why. Oh, I do remember why I did it now. I think it was everything to do with the Toronto blessing, and then the Brownsville revival, and that the Kansas City prophets, <coughs> that whole era. And um, I, so I did this study that showed that there has always been a tension between what I call the current charismatically endowed and the institution. It's just always been there. I mean, imagine Paul saying to his bishop, if he had one, well, I had a vision of a man in Macedonia. So I'm turning left and yeah. I'm going into right. what you know we now think of as the Western world instead of turning yeah. right and going into what yeah. we would think of as the Eastern world. Well, yeah. imagine a bishop going, well, sorry, that's not in our 10-year plan. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So that yeah. that has been an issue. Not that that mm-hmm. actually happened with Paul. I know that. But, but that yeah. tension that Steve's talking about, yeah. it's been in the church forever. Yeah. And yeah. so I remember playfully um, uh, sort of debating this with, I think it was Hans Borsman at one of our telos meetings where he was, I think, sort of insisting on somehow, oh, the Eucharist constituting the church, which is mm-hmm. one thing that smart people like Hans will say. Mm-hmm. And other smart people will say, no, the Episcopacy constitutes the church. And remember, I was jokingly saying, no, I think, and I, but I don't really mean to joke. This is as careful as I know how to be theologically. I think actually the Spirit constitutes the mm-hmm. church, the sending of the Spirit. Yeah. And this is why I think Luke 24 is such a turning point in church history. Wait for the promise of the Father. Because mm-hmm. then soon you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you have, mm-hmm. you know, Acts 1 and Acts 2. You got John 20 when Jesus breathes on the his first friends and says, Receive the Holy Spirit, even as the Father sent me, so I send you. Yes. So I see, because I really take that serious. I'm in my episcopacy, I'm trying to facilitate that which constitutes, animates, energizes, empowers, mm. and gifts and in fruits the church. Yeah. So like if I can see that, then then I can bring my authority alongside it and and sort of breathe on whatever it is the spirit's doing. Now there's mm. a little aside that neither Steve or I have mentioned yet, and that is there are certain things that only a bishop can do. So, mm-hmm. Steve, you'll correct me if, I, if this is the wrong saying, but something like bishops have the divine right of, of ordination, mm-hmm. and we're the only ones that can do confirmations. Right. So there are certain, like, Episcopal acts right. yeah. that I'm sure Steve would say this true. When I do those acts, I try to bring, like, spirit, kingdom, meaning to them 
mm-hmm. not merely laying hands on somebody. Yeah. Well, Steve already said yeah. it. Like Steve's trying to do ministry. He's trying to bless the people he lays hands on at confirmation mm-hmm. right. to bless them that like, this is how the father sees you. And, yeah. you know, this is the, you know, whatever he might be, you know, blessing somebody with. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing with ordination. Um, it's, it's one thing to just run through an ordination service. It's another thing to actually lay hands on somebody intending yeah. for them to receive what the, what the spirit intends to give through us. Yeah. So I try to even bring that spirit kingdom yeah. worldview into what we call Episcopal acts. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think I would be alone in that, but yeah. Yeah. I, I did think of, you know, you, you mentioned Paul, you know, having to uh, tell his Bishop about the vision <laughs> Uh, but that did happen in Acts 10, right? Where Peter yes, has this good vision, point. Yes. right? And he's, he does have, he doesn't have a bishop, but he has a community of apostles that he's yeah. accountable to. And he's got to go back and say, well, I had this vision and the spirit fell. Like, what was I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, but then they argued about it, right? For right. years, yeah. probably right. until Acts 15, when they were like, all right, fine. Uh, just, you know, fine. I guess the gospel's going to the Gentiles. Yeah. We yeah. can't control this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's good. And th- this, Todd, your answer bleeds into the the last question I want to ask. Um, and we we've alluded to this and touched on this already, but uh, I'd love to hear just a couple more thoughts on this. So, you know, abuse and authoritarianism aside, a more benign sort of association that we've talked about that many people have of uh, bishops and the episcopacy, and even like a you know a traditional uh, church structure like we have. It, the association is with like this stodgy institutionalism. You, you mentioned this, you know, Steve, of, you know, having the fireplace without the fire um, that just maintains the status quo. And I wonder if I could just get some final thoughts from both of you on what it looks like to pursue a more missional, apostolic, charismatic, maybe even episcopacy. Yeah, I think personally, I think that there is a fundamentally conservative nature about the office of the bishop. Right. I I think that and this is where this is where the danger of stodginess and institutionalism can come from, Mm -hmm. that we have been entrusted with a gospel that we need to faithfully transmit to others. Now, where that can be helpful is if you have a bishop. So, I mean, I'm thinking of Yates. Yates wrote that poem, Second Coming, and he talked about the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. I think in its best case. The bishops help stand at the stand at the center with the word of God that allows that kind of stability to exist while empowering and releasing their clergy to go out and innovate, that uh, the bishops guard the entrustment, which gives congregations the opportunity to be very innovative and very creating because the center can hold in the best case scenario. Hmm. And so I, you know, I like I like the poem. But yeah. I like the image of, yeah. uh, and you know, and he goes on. He talks about when the center doesn't hold. You know, anarchy's loosed, uh, innocence is drowned, the uh, lack of all conviction comes up, the uh, uh, world's ruled by people with passionate intensity. So again, hmm. best case scenario, I think, is bishops stand at the center, holding the word of God. That provides a stability for others to be as creative and innovative as they wish. Hmm. That's good. Todd, what would you say? Uh, well, first of all, I question. like that very much. And yeah, that's the best image. way I've heard yet of somebody talking about the bishops being, you know, kind of functional instruments of unity. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that very mm-hmm. much. Um, I don't remember the 
sort of gospel missional statement, Steve, at, at our consecration, but I, I, you might, but I do remember that one of the things we vow to do as bishops is to take our place in the councils of the church. So there's a sense in which we actually vow to be somewhat institutional. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But I know there's also a more missional gospel-oriented vow, and I'm just not thinking of it right this moment. So I think for me, just what I've observed of 13 years of being a bishop is that a lot of this been is temperamental. Like, like hmm. just which way does somebody's face naturally turn? Does it hmm. naturally turn to caring for the church and her institutions and her history and all that? Or is this a bishop whose face is more naturally turned towards culture, world, evangelism, kingdom, mission? Hmm. And then that gives us different accents. And again, I don't know that I mean to say good or bad, yeah. but I think um, that a, a bishop who does well with mission is able to keep part of his face turned towards mm. our current world, not the world yeah. of the seventies or the sixties yeah. or the world yeah. that will be here in, you know, 40 years from now, but the world that exists today. So mm. it's, it's, I think it's actually tough to be a, a great Bishop holding those things together. Mm. Yeah. My experience is most of us fall off that fence one way or the other, <laughs> fall off oh, yeah. institutionally or fall off more sort of missionally. I mean, I, maybe I should just speak for myself, but I I find it difficult to be yeah. equally good at both those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I agree. And I think, you know, one of the things I tell my clergy regularly is that I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I, I remind them of this regularly that, you know, um, inevitably, because there, there are the tensions that Todd spoke about. Um, and, um, and it's, yeah, it is a, it's where you need some other folks that can come alongside and make sure that my face is set toward Jerusalem and not looking toward somewhere Mm. else. Yeah. And that comes back to your comment earlier, uh, Bishop Steve about, um, conciliar, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of modes of accountability and governance as well, that I, I take comfort in the fact that, um, you know, we have a, College of Bishops. We have right. we have bishops who are in community with one another and who can, you know, maybe uh, help pull one another towards uh, which whichever side of that uh, equation um, they might uh, tend mm-hmm. to shy away from. So yeah. um, I think that's yeah. and I think I, that's a good way. And I think that the kind of conciliarity that Steve is talking about is is it's conciliar from the heart. Like mm. if it tries to be imposed from the institution, it actually yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, but. Just giving our listeners a little insight here, it would be hard for me to think of making any big decision without like consulting Steve. Because mm-hmm. he just knows more about stuff than I know. But see, that's from my heart. Like, right. I don't owe that. You're not required. Yes. Right. You, know, you don't have to sign and, a paper that says yeah, I talked to Steve. Steve and I yeah. might say, oh, gosh, you know, we, we should probably ask three or four other people about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that sort of conciliar from the heart, because that could yeah. include asking a smart rector or a smart deacon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or uh, look at the, um, or smart lay people. Like I know Steve's right. church is full of highly professional, smart lay people that on any given subject, even though we're the bishop sitting at the titular head of this hierarchy, right. well, you're dumb to think that at that head is all the wisdom right. you need to be a bishop. So that conciliar spirit, I think the spirit of being conciliar the humility attached to it, the desire for wisdom, the respect of your colleagues is way better mm-hmm. than it being sort of 
enforced on us at provincial council or something. And I don't mean that to criticize anybody, but you know, where it's, yeah, I think you get it. Yeah. 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 And that's where I'm, I'm a fan of conciliar style leadership. I just, I'm not a fan of imposing, um, you know, personally, personally, if I'm, if we've gotten to the point in our relationship where I'm quoting the canons to you, we're in yeah. a pretty bad, we're in a yeah. pretty bad place. Bad place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, there, should, there hopefully would have been uh, many steps before that. Um, hopefully. So yes, yes. Well, good. Yeah. Uh, well, bishops, uh, I think we made it. I think we made it through. Nobody got injured. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, I don't think any uh, anything but goodness broke out here today. So I <laughs> appreciate you, you both appreciate uh, being it. with us yeah. and sharing your thoughts uh, with us. Thanks, Bishop Steve, for coming on our podcast. Delighted, Ben. Uh, really pleased to be here. Todd, always good to see you. Yep. Thanks, Steve. All right. See you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.